three work days into the new year and the news is flying in Ohio and Northeast Ohio. News is what we talk about on this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Good morning. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Jen Cahoon, Laura Johnston, Chris Ranowski. You ready for a hot discussion on some big topics today? Yeah. Let's get going. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has been saying for at least six months that he is working on a plan to vaccinate millions of Ohioans against the coronavirus. So what's the plan? Jane Cahoon, this is kind of an amazing moment in this because so much rides on the vaccine. And yet, (laughs) take us through. Yeah, DeWine won't tell us. And in fact, he was dismissive when we expressed our desire and the desire of many Ohioans for for some answers on how this is supposed to play out. In fact, he he laughed when Laura Hancock asked him during his briefing on Tuesday, you know, what he's been doing on this plan for the last six months, knowing that this vaccine was coming, the vaccine that he kept He keeps touting and saying, you know, we've got to wear the mask. We've got to do all this because the vaccine is coming. Um, But but, you know, then he he laughed when she asked him and and then he kind of gave a sarcastic reply and said, oh, we've been doing nothing, nothing at all in that six months, you know, period. But then, you know, she she wasn't the first one to press him on this. Jackie Borchardt from the Cincinnati Inquirer asked a similar question before Laura did. And he kind of did the same dance. And then, and then when Laura asked, he, he first said something along the lines of like, wasn't I asked this question already? But the point is he didn't really answer either time. He, he replied by saying the system will be in place. It's the, it's going to be the best system we can put forward and and we'll we'll be announcing it when it's time for people to activate and do it. So, uh, you know, meanwhile, you, you're hearing from people, we're all hearing from people who have been wondering like, where they're going to go to get their vaccine, how they sign up, when they're going to get it, who's going to notify them, you know, what are the logistics and for this? And I think it became pretty clear that there's really not a, a detailed plan in place when he when he said, we're on a train and we're putting fuel in it and we're building a train at the same time. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but this is a lot going on. Well, so, a few things. One, he he was very much of the mind. We'll tell you when we think you need to know, which is not going over well. The audience did get it. I heard from people saying, I can't believe it. He's not answering the question being asked. He keeps saying who is eligible, not the how. But what was interesting about both Jackie and Laura is they were basically saying, show the work. You've spent six months on this, and even if it's not ready, show the work. And he refuses to do so. And what DeWine doesn't realize is he's talking to enough people who talk to us, not to be named, not on the record, who are saying there is no plan because they want to know what the plan is. They don't know what the roles will be for the hospitals or for the health boards or for for anybody. I mean, this is one where it's like, what is the role of everybody? He was asked, will you call out the National Guard? He goes, oh, sure, I'll call out the National Guard. But there was no detail there. And and so what, what I don't think DeWine is hearing, and maybe it's because COVID has everybody isolated, people are furious about this. They want to know what is the plan to vaccinate millions of Ohioans? I don't know if you guys saw there. You know, we know about the English variant that's much more contagious. Now there's an African variant that looks like 
defeats all of the antiviral treatments that are being used to save people's lives right now. So if that starts to spread like the English mutation, then people who get the coronavirus are not going to be saved or the death rate will go up. The clock is ticking on this thing. I mean, yeah, just as quickly as they developed this vaccine at so-called warp speed, it's like it's the total opposite as far as getting it out to people. And this is happening all over the country. Ohio's not the only one having a hard time here. And a lot of that could be because the federal government doesn't have a top-down plan. You know, they didn't, they didn't set up, help the states, you know, at all set up infrastructure. But as you said, we knew about this and we, we needed to do it on our own. One thing that has come up repeatedly from our readers, and thank you for this, is the suggestion that if Amy Acton were still in charge, she would have created a task force back last summer and said, we have to have a fully realized plan to get this out, that she knew what she was doing. She had a grasp on it, but she left. I mean, the pressures that were put on her forced her out. It boggles my mind that that didn't happen or doesn't appear to have happened, that back when they said, we'll have a vaccine by December, that DeWine wouldn't have said, okay, Let's pick 10 people, put them in a corner and have them come up with the plan for how we're going to get to millions of Ohioans because they have no clue. He couldn't even say he said yesterday, we're going to get to the teachers and people 65 and older in two weeks. But I'm not ready to tell you how we're going to do that. And, and, And the anxiety level of everyone. Sorry, this is Laura Johnston. Everybody's anxiety level is really high about this. And it just seemed so dismissive for him to stand up there. And it felt very Wizard of Oz like, like, don't look behind the curtain. I, I'm all powerful and I know what I'm doing. It just feels very dismissive to be like, don't worry about it. You don't need to know yet. And and I and I, I had the same thought about Acton this morning. And I was like, not only did she leave, but we had a vacuum in that department for what, four or five months where there wasn't a leader. There was like an interim and and mm-hmm. I feel the same way that she would have been, she was very in tune with how people were feeling. And she spoke directly to Ohioans. And I think she would have realized that this is important for everyone to know, to feel safe about the vaccine. Because um, Dwayne talked about that, that people don't want to get it. Well, if you won't tell them how they're going to get it, how are they going to feel good about getting it? Jane Cahoon, a lot of people are grateful that Laura Hancock pressed the governor pretty hard. She was very, she was respectful, but aggressive because when he blew her off, she said, you've had six months. What, what's the information? Unfortunately, there were some people that she heard from that criticized her for asking the questions aggressively. You know, and I just want to point out that's her job. She's representing all of our readers, our audience, when she's holding the governor to account. If she didn't do that job, she'd be failing them. Yes, thank you for that. I mean, she did get some rather unfriendly emails and so forth saying that she was disrespectful to the governor. And, um, you know, maybe there's just a lack of understanding. As you said, that that is that is her job. And, you know, we that's what we want her to do. And that's what we told her to do. And she did it. So also, I think it's important to note that and this is Chris Ranowski, by the way, it is important to note that Mike DeWine is a big boy. He's, he has been a politician for his, almost his entire adult life. He's a former prosecutor. I'm sure he's experienced worse. And I, I'm pretty sure he's going to experience a lot worse when this primary comes up. So, <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think he can handle it. And, and so, you know, to criticize a reporter for being aggressive, get out of here. Like, just go away. Like, honestly. Did you ever call Mike DeWine a big boy? <laughs> <laughs> but well, Chris is right. I mean, uh, 
think about politicians. Like this is a reporter's job is to question politicians. And by having that folksy demeanor and speaking to Ohioans, like, you know, people are seeing press conferences all the time, but they, they might not know that like, it's usually a pretty combative relationship because we want information for the public and politicians don't always want to give it to us. And how about this? How about my, our level of respect for, and and this, this goes for all Ohio citizens is our level of respect for elected officials should be tied to the rising level of COVID cases in the state. So as the number of cases (laughs) increases, my lack of respect or my respect goes down for them. So, so. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we we had talked before about how we we sometimes admired Dewine for standing in there and taking all the questions, and you know, he he doesn't usually shy away from that. But I thought in this case he was unusually defensive and kind of like, "Hey guys, I got a lot on my plate," you know, and yeah, uh, and, the, and the thing. sort of laughing off the thing and being sarcastic. That's you know, I think that's a little out of character for him. I don't remember him being so sarcastic before. I mean, he takes Jack Windsor's questions in stride, but he yeah. was thrown off, you know, to the point where he would like huffed at Laura. He laughed at her. I mean, it was, do you want to talk about disrespect? That right. was the disrespect. And what he doesn't, what he should figure out, we're reflecting the, the sentiment of the population. People are angry that he's not revealing details of the plan. And they're really worried that there is no plan. You're listening. Yeah, I think it was expressed. I'm sorry. I think it was expressed to him that way. Like, hey, our reader, you know, people are clamoring for this. The public wants to know. They're telling us, you know, anyway. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Three times Tuesday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was asked how he could repeatedly decry gun violence while signing a stand your ground law that will most certainly result in more gun violence. Chris Ranowski, what was his answer? Um, his answer was kind of all over the place. You know, he did a very Mike DeWine thing where he he kind of started to address the questions, but then he would sort of deflect to, you know, something that was kind of loosely but not totally related. So, you know, the the thing that he he said was was basically that that he believes that that there are good people on both sides of this issue, you know, the sides being gun manufacturers and lobbyists and 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 the other side being people who are concerned that that this is going to increase instances of gun violence. But then he he referenced he he referenced, you know, having read read reports that 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 show that this this increases safety which you know, I, I spent a lot of time the past couple of days trying to track down a report that wasn't, you know, think tank created by, by some biased organization and only came up with one from the RAND Corporation that showed that this indeed increases the frequency of homicides in cities. So so really, I think he 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 sort of illustrated that that a, a, a very kind of disingenuous deflect on this this issue that that you know, that he, he really found himself sort of cornered by this issue, despite the fact that, you know, for, for months, he's been using his pulpit for the coronavirus to talk about gun violence in cities. And, and so, you know, I, I think what people don't understand about stand your ground laws is that ultimately it comes down to prosecutors, you know, I mean, DeWine's a former prosecutor, you know, he should, the state already has, you know, castle doctrine, you know, self-defense is is something that prosecutors and, and defense attorney, you know, it, it's something that they that can be considered by the criminal justice system already. This 
what this does, you know, removing this duty to retreat in, in you know, everywhere is, is, is asking for trouble. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, we, the, there's no greater example than the Trayvon Martin case where, you know, there, there was enough, you know, enough for them to clear George Zimmerman in that killing. Right. And, and so, you know, if you, if you look at this, if you go and you look at what academic research exists on this, you know, it's, it, it does say that it increases the, the frequency of homicides. They do say it increase you know, it increases gun sales It increases, you, right. it, you know, when gun so, sales increase and suicides increase and, you know, everything, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a real slippery slope. So the easy way to answer that question would have been to say he didn't answer it, right? Because yeah. he was asked about those studies and he immediately went into selling his gun reforms, right? which, which that's the disingenuous part of this. He's holding himself out there as a guy who's decrying urban gun violence. Well, but also... Finding- while but, signing a bill that's that even the you found the Rand study, right. the, the liberal Rand study <laughs> that said these laws increase gun violence, especially against black victims. Well, and 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 keep this in mind, calling what he is proposing gun reform is disingenuous. That is that is sentencing increasing, which is very much it's a very different thing than than actually enacting laws that that. You, you know, limit access to guns for certain no, people. No, no, no. There are other parts. I know, I know there are parts of it, but, but he's the, got but, a very but, unique way of attacking people with mental impairments so that they can't get guns without infringing on. When he came out with those reforms, there were a lot of people kind of impressed that he found a way to navigate the gun rights groups to come up with some common sense. That's why he's so frustrated they won't won't pass it. I mean, if if those were passed. There, there would be. I don't disagree that there'd be a reduction of gun violence, which is what his goal is. It's not just about the sentencing, but but there's no. If that's your mission that you've you've repeatedly thrown at the public during a briefing that's supposed to be about the coronavirus, there's there's no justification for signing stand your ground. I mean, I that's the and that's what what three different reporters tried to get him to address. And much like he would not address how he's going to get the coronavirus vaccine delivered, he didn't answer it. And I look, I don't want to belabor this, but, you know, one of the things that would be a, a very sensible solution to this that will never happen. And and we have tried and, and, and the state has tried and cities have tried and tried again is to, you know, if you can't get sensible gun reform legislation through the, the Ohio legislature, let these urban communities set their own rules. And, and this state has rejected it. It's courts have rejected it and it's nonsense. You know, here, here we are at a moment where the governor is deferring the vaccination plan to basically local people saying, you know, check your county health board, but we can't do that with guns. And it, and it's, and it's a, it's a frustration. I know that is felt by Cleveland's mayor and other mayors. And really, you know, if you're going to say that this is a problem that is plaguing our urban areas, then let these urban areas make these decisions for themselves. Stop, stop punning it to a legislature that is never going to take this up. All right, we got to we got to move on. I do want to point out the reason that they argue against that is that as you drive around with a gun in your car, if the laws change by municipal boundary, it's unfair to the to the person. But your point is well taken. You could easily change the way guns are sold. There's all sorts of things you could do that would not interfere with somebody's ability to drive around with a gun in their car. But the same legislature that won't 
won't pass the wines reforms is not going to allow local governments to do that. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With Cleveland Browns coach Kevin Stefanski getting diagnosed with the coronavirus just days before the team's first playoff game in 18 years, is there any way he can help guide the team from home while he quarantines? I'm going to turn to Laura Johnston, our pro sports expert on this podcast, (laughs) to take us through the legal rules about what a coach can do when he's not on the field. Yeah, so uh, bad news for the Browns when this broke yesterday. I think everybody was just like, oh, come on, after 18 years. But no, Kevin Stefanski cannot help call plays virtually on Sunday night against the Steelers in their playoff game. And this was a question that had come up among our editors. Um, He's got a watch at home. And it's because of of like a longstanding policy from the NFL about outside communication, including texts, emails, and calls. It has to cease prior to kickoff. It extends until the game's conclusion. And there are really harsh penalties for violating the rules. So the Browns are going to strictly adhere to it. So Stefanski's not going to be permitted any contact with the coaches during the game. Yeah, I, and I get it. I get why they do that because if you're if you're able to communicate with people outside, you could learn some things from commentators or others that that would influence the game. There's probably some kind of anti-gambling thing in there. It's just too bad that they don't have a way of enforcing order from a coach watching it on television, that that if they're going to watch the game on a feed and there's somebody making sure they're not on the phone talking to the wrong kind of people, it would work like they're on the sidelines. These are extraordinary circumstances, but it puts the Browns at a serious disadvantage. He's the Could guy. I say get something there. here? Jane Cahoon, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I think they could, there's a lot they still could do here. Like I think, and I think it, this was reported that Stefanski can be involved in drawing up the game plan and, and all this stuff ahead of time. And couldn't he give like a, um, you know, a Zoom speech in the locker room before the game or something and, and get them fired up or, you know. Yeah, I but. Think- but so much of football is reacting to to what happens. I mean, right. What I'm just saying he could be there to motivate them in some way before the game. Yeah. yeah and I guess he's feeling fine right now. Like he's not over overtly sick. So let's hope he stays that way. But yeah, there's such a whole bunch of COVID outs for, uh, for the Browns. So it's going to, I mean, it's just bad news. He did go over and and give like a, a greeting to Mike Tomlin after the game last weekend. So if I were Mike yeah. Tomlin, I'd be getting tested too. They, Pittsburgh might be without a coach. It's too bad. But, you know, on any given Sunday, we'll have to see what happens. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announcing last week that teachers and people 65 and over will be in the next round for coronavirus vaccines, do we know when they will be vaccinated? Jen Coon, this is a big subject in my house. I'm married to a teacher. So what's the answer? (laughs) Well, DeWine said that in roughly two weeks, he hopes to launch this second phase of the vaccine plan. But as we discussed, this is a slow walk here, But but they would start you know, making the shot available. Here's the thing, though. They they only expect to get about 100,000 doses the week that they start this. And so that's going to make them pretty scarce. That They call this the 1B group. The, the 1A is the ones that they've started already with the frontline healthcare workers and the nursing homes, et cetera. But in this 1B group that includes the the teachers and, and adult school workers, uh, that that includes about 2.2 million people, and um, you know it includes about 
1.6 million people that are age 65 to 84. And then then there are other adults, you know, younger than that who who qualify, which, you know, includes the teachers and the staff at schools and some people with qualifying developmental or, or medical disorders. So, you know, he said they're going to announce in the coming days, you know, how they're going to phase in the eligibility for this group. So who knows? I mean, are they going to do the 80-year-olds first before the 75-year-olds and before, you know, we, do, we don't know any of, of those basics. Well, they do because they're so bad at getting this out. They do have more than 300,000 doses on hand that they haven't used yet. This is true. Half million they receive. So if you add that to the 100,000 that are coming in, they could do all the teachers. They could get schools <laughs> open. And if they got any better at doing this, I, I should say, I have heard from a number of people in nursing homes who said that the vaccinations in the nursing home they're in could not have gone more efficiently. People, they showed up, they had people ready, they, mm-hmm. and they were very, very happy with the delivery. So I don't know if that's... You know, they had the, um, I think it was CVS and Walgreens, if I'm not mistaken. You know, they had the them, uh, they had some sort of quote unquote infrastructure for that part of it. So... Well, maybe they should take over the whole damn thing yeah. because it's not working the way they're doing it now. Um, so I was good to hear from people that, that felt some confidence in the way the commercial providers of this were doing it if the government is falling down so badly. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How many Cuyahoga County Council members refused to say whether they would reject a candidate for sheriff who does not meet the requirements for the job in the county charter? Mr. Ranowski, this is kind of astounding because voters just put that in. It just took <laughs> effect, th- what, four days ago, six right. days ago. And yet we got people saying, hey, I'm not going to tell you that. How right. can you say I'm not going to tell you whether I'm going to follow the law? Right. So three of the the county council members, including the newly elected president and vice president, refused to say whether they would reject uh, Stephen Hammett as as the sheriff if nominated by County Executive Armin Budish, uh, given Hammett's lack of degree uh, that is required for this job. Uh, Four other council members, uh, too shy of a majority, uh, given it. Given an open seat on the 11 member council told, uh, told us that they would not vote to confirm Hammett. Um, they were council members, Yvonne Conwell, uh, Michael Gallagher, Dale Miller, and Scott Tuma. Uh, but council president Purnell Jones, vice president Cheryl Stevens, and Nan Baker all sort of ducked the question when we asked them about it. And Jones uh, said that he would not respond to what he called a hypothetical question, <laughs> which I, you know, I, I don't know. Question. There's there's nothing more clear in the realm of reality than what is happening here. So uh, I don't know what, what he considers a hypothetical, but it, it is it's possible for Hammett, who is the public safety director at the Cleveland Institute of Art, to be nominated, uh, four of Budish's administrators twice elevated him to lists of finalists before sending Budish and Chief of Staff Bill Mason the names of two candidates with the necessary degrees. So, you know, this is such a typical Cuyahoga County story. I, you know, and we've we've sort of talked about this a little bit um, this week that, you know, can you not just find somebody who's qualified to do the job? Well, you know? look, it goes beyond that. Forget the whole hypothetical thing. Right. If you're if you're the new county council president, you're the check on the, the power of the county executive. Right. 
and and you're you're seeing that the county executives team continues to elevate this person who is 100% not qualified it would be illegal mm-hmm. to put him in the job so so whether you want to tell us how you're going to vote or not you're the council president you should be speaking out on this progression there shouldn't be a candidate that doesn't meet the the requirements. You could see on his resume, he doesn't meet the requirements. So for him to say, I'm not addressing this, it it bodes very poorly for the future. One good piece of uh, news out of this, Mark Vosberg, who sits on our editorial board when Pernell Jones was running for re-election, drilled him to compel him to give an answer as to whether he would approve all of these no-bid contracts that Armin Budish has been ramming through. And he's on the record. We have him recorded saying he will not do that. So let's watch and see the next time Armin Budish sends a no-bid contract Pernell Jones's way, whether he stands up the way he said he would. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Ohio has no statewide registration portal for the coronavirus vaccine. But a couple of counties do. Why? And how does that work? Laura Johnston, it's pathetic that, that this is breaking down to based on, if you live in a place with a qualified health board, which nobody in Cuyahoga County does, you might have some efficiency in how you get your vaccine. What's going on? Yeah, this was a, a good find from a um, texter from our subtext account that I send out coronavirus text alerts from. Um, I kind of asked the question, like, you know, how is this going to work? We don't really know. And they sent me back that Geauga County and Summit County have a pre-registration on their website. So Geauga County has a 10-question survey monkey form where people can check boxes on what kind of criteria they meet. Like, do they work at a school or um, as a firefighter or are they over 65? And then they can share their contact information, their address, and their phone number so that they can be notified when the vaccine is available. And Summit County also has a spot on their Board of Health uh, website where, where people over 65 can register. And I I do think that this helps people because you have somewhere that they can at least put their name down so they can know that they're going to be counted because they're, we've talked about this numerous times. There are just, there's so little information out there that it, like to at least get your name on the list and be like, okay, somebody's going to get a hold of me to let me know if I need to go to a fairgrounds or my doctor or a pharmacy. Um, it, it makes them feel a little better. Uh, we talked earlier this week about Cuyahoga and how they had a registration only for the people in the 1A group, the, the frontline workers, the hospitals, that still exists. And Lorraine County has something similar. But like, if you go to others, like I, I went to check out Medina's Board of Health website, I couldn't even find coronavirus info. And uh, yeah, it, so it's it's not an across the board thing at all. Well, the state's been training people since last March to go to its website for data and all sorts of information about the coronavirus, which it has continued to improve and is loaded with good information. Why on earth would you not make that the singular portal where you go in to put in your information, list your county so that when it is time, the state can get the information out. Why is it going to be based on where you live? I guarantee you people desperate for this thing who don't live in Jaga County are probably trying to fill out theirs. <laughs> well, well, I'll drive over to Jaga County to get my shot. It's a mess. And where Paging is, John Houston. Where is right? John Houston, Mike DeWine, get off it. Put together the portal that will allow people get their age, 
get their their, um, their it, gender, it's, get it's, their underlying conditions. I mean, I mean, if, you, if you're going to do 65 and older, we're talking what 2.2 million people. I think Rick Jackson wrote, and honestly, I think it's fair to say that the people who are 65 and older and have a pre-existing condition should get to go first. So let's collect that information. And yeah, some if you're states, diabetic, if you have high blood pressure, if you have, I mean, get it, get it registered, right? So that it, at least you can use that to to do it. If you're a a fast food worker, if you work yes. in a grocery store, uh, you know, if you're however you're going to define a frontline worker, but to have every different health board, and that's not just county. You know, we have right. Cleveland's health board, and there are other more local health boards than county health boards. It's just a mess, and the fact that we're we're ten months into this pandemic and the state has done nothing to clear this up. Boggles the mind. Well, Other states have done it. Like New Jersey has a statewide forum. I think Minnesota does. So yes, other people are doing it. They figured it out. So let's just copy off them. Just uh, remember, this is Chris Warnowski, that Cuyahoga County did have a public sign up, but uh, it wasn't supposed to be public. So. Right, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. But you're listening to this week in the CLE. We're not going to get to HB6 again. I mean, it's like been, we have too much news, Jane. Just keep that in your pocket. I want to know if yeah. it's going to get repealed. Yeah, they're going to repeal it, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 Thank, you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to everybody who listens to this week in the CLE. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow.